Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, a very warm welcome. And if you are a regular listener, then thank you. I am so aware of how many amazing podcasts are out there and how time poor we all are. So that you choose to listen to the Motherkind podcast makes me very happy and I am endlessly grateful. So thank you. My mission with this podcast is to inspire you to reconnect back to yourself, whatever that might look like for you. Perhaps it's reconnecting with your health and self-care. Maybe it's looking at your career and your relationships. Or maybe how you talk to yourself. And finally, looking at being kinder to yourself. So I talk to therapists, doctors, naturopaths, coaches, career experts, and everything in between to help you become your happiest, healthiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. This week I am chatting to Amy Rushworth. Amy is a certified life and health coach and one of the UK's top confidence coaches. I've really wanted a confidence specialist on the podcast for a while now because I know it's something that so many of us are challenged with after having children It's something that I work on a lot with my one-to-one coaching clients and I get so many messages each week of people asking me about how they can get their confidence or get their confidence back. So I was really excited when Amy and I were connected and she agreed to come on the podcast. We had a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I had quite a few of my own aha moments through the chat, which you will hear and we discuss. So we start off talking about Amy's journey, how she went from having low self-esteem and feeling lost and disconnected from herself to finding her confidence and her vibrancy, which is where she is today. I found myself in my mid-20s in a life that I wasn't really passionate about living and a life that was led by fear of failure, comparing myself to other people and a real fear around being judged and not accepted by others. So I went on this journey, having really struggled with my mental health at that point to revive my confidence and to return to what was important to me and return to the values that were important to me. We talk about what confidence is and how to get it or get it back if it's something you feel you used to have but you've lost along the way. You can still go and achieve all of these amazing goals and have these things on the external layer, but it has to come from a foundation of being true to who you are and recognising that you're enough because any of those things obviously on the outside can be taken away at any moment, but who you are can never be taken away from you. And at the end, we have a really interesting discussion about how we can help our children with their confidence. And that's made me think really hard about some of the things that I'm saying and doing with Jesse. So I think you'll really enjoy that part of the interview as well. If you did enjoy it, as usual, I would be so grateful if you would rate and review on iTunes and share with any of your friends. If anyone that you think 
could do with Amy's message about confidence, then it's really easy. Just grab the link off iTunes, pop it in an email or a WhatsApp. I say this every week, but I think the guests that I have on here are so amazing. I want their wisdom to be spread far and wide. So here it is, and I do hope you enjoy it. So this morning, I am chatting to Amy Rushworth, who runs Wellness with Amy. Hi, Amy. Hey, how are you going? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Good. So before we get started into chatting all things confidence, can you just tell everyone, if they don't already know you, a bit about you and your background and the work that you do today? Absolutely. So I'm a qualified wellness and life coach, but I specialize in confidence in women and many of the confidence issues that women are experiencing now show up in their well-being, particularly their inner well-being and their mental health. And of course, those things affect how we show up in life. So as a life coach, I work on confidence as a starting point, And then we look at how that's manifesting elsewhere in terms of health, well-being and quality of life. I'm also a speaker and a writer. I wear a few different hats, I suppose. But yeah, my foremost profession and passion is helping women to feel more confident. Okay, brilliant. We're really going to dig into that because I know confidence, you know, as you said, can present itself in such different ways. You know, I know that I found when I had Jesse and then tried to go back into the world, my confidence was low. So it's going to be really good to hear some of your insights and tips on that. Where does your passion for confidence come? Is it because you've always been confident or is it because you struggled with your own confidence and learned a way to overcome that? I think when I was a really little girl, I was always described as super confident, super friendly. I was very outgoing. And I think as I went on through life, I kind of kept that confidence on the outside, which I now know is more about being an extroverted personality. But on the inside, I really lacked confidence in myself. So... That meant that I didn't take as many chances. I did things because other people wanted me to or I thought that I would get validation or approval. And I found myself in my mid-20s in a life that I wasn't really passionate about living and a life that was led by fear of failure, comparing myself to other people, and a real fear around being judged and not accepted by others. So I went on this journey having really struggled with my mental health at that point to revive my confidence and to return to what was important to me and return to the values that were important to me. And as such, I ended up changing careers. I moved overseas and I completely changed my life and went on this really massive spiritual journey. And now I have really good confidence and I help other people to go on that journey that I've been on too. I hear that quite a lot. And I know that was my journey as well Is that at school, I was always really confident. And I got very badly bullied, which I internalized. And that led to a lot of my challenges around feeling not good enough and feeling unloved and, and all those things. Do you remember that moment? Was there an incident where you lost that inner sense of worth which you know I believe we're all born with that aren't we babies don't compare themselves or they know they're inherently lovable so I'm always really interested in when this transition happens when we stop losing that inherent sense of how enough we are yeah it's interesting you say that because the majority of the work that I would do one-to-one with people, we will go back to these incidents. And I definitely have these incidents too. So as you said, confidence is something that is inherent. So we have it when we're born. So therefore, 
the opposite of that is self-doubt. So self-doubt is something that we learn and we learn that through conditioning and experiences. Bullying is a really huge one, really, really scarring for people, can really affect their confidence going forward. Sometimes in terms of creativity and creative expression, this is where people take a U-turn. So for me personally, I know that There was an incident of bullying when I was about 10 where I felt that I needed to please people in order to be liked. There was also an incident where I did a singing performance. So this is my creative expression and I was really passionate about performing and singing and somebody laughed at me. Not consciously at the time, but with hindsight, I now know that I made a decision in that moment that I wasn't good enough and I was going to play it safe. And so I stopped singing and I stopped studying music and I started choosing different subjects at school and I went on to study something different in university than what had been my original kind of dream and intention. It's interesting to work with people and find out where these U-turns occur. And the great thing is, though, that because self-doubt is something that we can learn, it is also something we can unlearn, but it does require creating some self-awareness around where this confidence was lost and how we can kind of revive it again. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because you just reminded me of something that I did. I was in this fashion show at school and I would have been about 14 or something. And I was super confident and I always loved being at the front. And I remember they asked me to go up to the front of the catwalk on my own and shake this tambourine. I mean, looking back, it's pretty embarrassing. But I was laughed at. And I remember after that moment shrinking and deciding that it wasn't safe to be me. Mm. So interesting, isn't it? So you would advise that one of the first things that we do when thinking about confidence is looking back. Is that something that you work on first? Yeah, I would recommend that. And that's what I guide my clients to do. So we look at what's a memory where you believe that you weren't good enough or whatever your current limiting belief is. It will be almost like something that you say to yourself in a moment of doubt or say to yourself in a moment where you're about to be seen or you feel exposed. And usually that's in the realm of I'm not good enough, people laugh at me, there's something wrong with me, I can never succeed. These are sort of all in that realm of not enough of something, right? And we kind of go back to the origin of where was the first memory that you clearly have of believing this or thinking this. And usually it will be a random memory from your childhood or adolescence that just sticks out for some reason. And with hindsight and adult logic, you say, oh, okay, well, there could have been reasons that that person was laughing or it's not that big a deal in the scheme of my life. But we're looking at that with adult hindsight and that's not how it was actually occurring for us in the moment of being a child and being innocent and not having that rational logic to apply so it can be very hurtful and it can be something that we bury but it's still being carried around when we're adults and it shows up in different ways when we're adults yeah it's really important I think because you know we know now that children when something like that happens what our brain tells us is that there's something wrong with us and so we have to change not the other person so I think that's so interesting isn't it so when someone's gone back and maybe found these memories or these moments of when they abandon their self is the phrase that I would use it's that self-abandonment isn't it of giving Mm. away your power to please someone else to fit in as opposed to fit out which I think you call it don't you 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of fitting out. (laughs) (laughs) So when someone's done that and they think, oh, okay, so it was that moment at school, but I still feel petrified about going to this work interview today. How do they link the two? What's the journey that you go on between understanding when you detached from your confident self and refinding that confidence that, as you say, we're naturally all born with? What's the journey between those two states? So first step is that self-awareness around where it comes from. But then it's good to look at what did you do in that moment to survive or to cope? Because at the time, if it's, you know, you're 10 years old, something that seems small now is huge. It's life-changing. It's your whole world, right? When somebody rejects you or makes you feel small, it's really traumatizing. So we cope in whatever way that we cope. For a lot of kids, their thing is to hide, right? Or to shrink or to walk away. And so it's interesting to know if those kinds of reactions then show up. So obviously, if you lack confidence, you're less likely to put yourself out there and you're more likely to hide if that is your go-to coping mechanism. What we do is we want to take an unfamiliar action and create awareness around what is my familiar response and how can I act in an unfamiliar way. And in terms of behavior change, it's the self-awareness that helps us create a new action but is the action that helps us to create change so if your thing if you feel I suppose socially anxious which is a huge issue that I see in women that struggle with confidence the action would be to do the opposite of what you want to do so it would be to take the action and push yourself out of that comfort zone and put yourself out there to be seen in some way. And it doesn't have to be super bold in the first instance, but it's about taking that action consistently and pushing that envelope more and more again and again until it becomes natural to be in that unfamiliar state. And it actually will end up being comfortable at some point if you do this action enough. Yeah, and I think that's so interesting because so many people – think, well, I need to wait until I feel confident to go and send that email, go to that party, launch that business. Whereas actually what I've learned is the same as what you're saying. It's just taking the action in spite of feeling petrified, (laughs) to be honest, sometimes, because the action changes the thoughts, doesn't it? And gives me a new perspective on what I'm capable of. Absolutely. So I think a lot of people confuse confidence with extroversion, right, and being outgoing. But there are a lot of people who are introverts and quite quiet who are very internally confident, and that's because it's an inner direction and it's a belief that you can figure things out. But if you have no track record of taking any action or overcoming any challenge or figuring out any challenge, you have no confidence because you know, it doesn't exist if you haven't got that history of figuring something out and overcoming it and knowing yourself as somebody who is capable of doing that. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, you have that original incident, you abandon yourself, you shrink to become small, and then you keep yourself stuck because, you know, I guess to our nervous system and our brains, stepping out of that is really threatening because of what happened when we were younger. Is that how people sort of end up at 50 going, oh my God, I've lived someone else's life? <laughs> the midlife crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so. And one of the reasons I think we lose confidence, because what I hear is a lot of women, particularly women who were confident in their 20s, but then lose it in their 30s or 40s, is because they start making decisions based on things outside of themselves. So other people's judgment, 
approval from other people or putting a lot of their confidence in the fact that they're accomplishing external goals. But when we do that, we abandon all of our internal goals. So things like our values and being true to ourselves and being authentic to ourselves. And so because the things outside of us are inherently uncertain, those things can change all the time. And so we can lose our confidence if we place our confidence outside of ourselves all of the time. So it's about being confident and authentic to your values so that no matter what is happening around you and no matter how your life changes as you get older, you always have this internal faith in the person that you are. Mm. Can you break that down? Because I think that's a really important concept, but it's quite abstract. So what would an example be of someone doing that behaviour? So living for external validation and abandoning their own values what would that look like so I call this contrast values over validation a lot of people set goals based on what they think is society's idea of success so an example would be I work with a lot of women who have very successful careers and they've done all of the things they need to do to climb that corporate ladder they're earning amazing money they're married They've got this life that they thought was going to bring them this peace and this happiness and this self-belief, but they're still lacking it. The reason being is because sometimes some of these decisions have come from the pure need to be validated and to reach those accomplishments, and they come from a mindset of deficiency, so believing that you're deficient until you achieve these things on the outer layer, the money, the career, the fame, whatever it is, the approval none of their decisions have been led by this idea that they're enough in the first place. So when we lead by contrast of a belief that I'm enough and I'd like to achieve these external goals, they're an added bonus rather than the thing that actually makes our confidence or makes our self-worth or makes us whole and complete. If we peel that right back, you can still go and achieve all of these amazing goals and have these things on the external layer but it has to come from a foundation of being true to who you are and recognizing that you're enough because any of those things obviously on the outside can be taken away at any moment, but who you are can never be taken away from you. Mm. And it often doesn't bring the peace. I call it the when-then game. You know, when I get that director title, then I'll be happy. When I get that whatever it might be, bigger house, bigger car, nicer clothes, thinner, whatever, then I'll be happy. But like you're saying, the when-then game doesn't work, does it? And I know from my own experience, when I got what I thought would make me happy, it didn't. And then the goals post move. And then I think that's just a life of chasing these externals all the time. Absolutely. I think success is an inner process. And That can be success in terms of career or however you define success, being a good mom, being a good friend, being a person who serves others. All of those things are an inner process. And what we sometimes do is put our focus completely on the outside process of achieving those things. We forget the reason why we wanted them in the first place. And I love that you use that word abandoning yourself. Confidence is about coming back to who you are. Yeah, I love that definition of confidence, actually, isn't it? Coming home to yourself. Mm-hmm. So if someone's listening and they're nodding along and they're thinking, yes, I don't feel enough. I am chasing the externals. 
how does someone start to feel enough just for being them? That's quite a big journey, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's a big journey, but it can be built using really simple tools. So it's all about self-awareness and self-kindness. So one of the things I encourage people to do is to make a page, handwritten page of all of the amazing things about yourself. And I encourage people not to write things like their job or the sort of external things that they do, but write this special things about themselves that is unique to them. So it might be kindness and empathy and creativity and things like that. And to fill the whole page and to read it regularly and to return to it when you're having those moments of doubt or you've had a bad day or you're doubting your capabilities. Also noticing where you use the word should. I should be doing this or I should be doing this. And I think that word should is really charged full of a lot of guilt and judgment on yourself. And you can't judge yourself and simultaneously be kind to yourself. So noticing where you use that word should and instead of using that word should, asking yourself, if I was being led by my values, what could I do? And kind of rejecting some of the rules that we subconsciously live by. And if those rules are not in alignment with your values, it might be worth considering, well, why am I living by these rules and how can I live more by my values? But self-kindness is definitely the starting step. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about self-love and self-kindness now, which I think is absolutely incredible. But as I previously mentioned, self-awareness is the first part, but the key is taking action. So having intentional practices around self-kindness, the same way that we don't just think about getting healthy and fit, we actually think about it and then go to the gym. So we think about being kind to ourselves. We have actions which solidify that process and reinforce that being kind to ourselves is an essential part of maintaining our well-being and being a good person and being a good mum means honouring ourselves first so then we can honour other people. Mm. So what are some of your self-kindness tools or practical actions then? The page that I mentioned is a really, really good one. Also, gratitude lists, which is something that people talk about a lot now, but gratitude lists that include things about yourself in there. So gratitude for your body, gratitude for the person you are, gratitude for how much you care about other people. You know, it's really easy to, again, when we write a list of things that we're grateful for, to focus on other things around us, but actually incorporating gratitude for yourself into your gratitude list is really powerful. Learning to say no is another huge one. So a lot of people, and I think particularly women, have a really hard time saying no. And a lot of the time that comes from people pleasing. And it seems on the outside that it's us being a good person by saying yes, because we care about other people. But often it actually comes again from that deficiency motivation of thinking, if I don't say yes to everyone, then I'm going to let everyone down, or I'm not going to be enough. And recognizing that sometimes when we say no, we're actually saying yes to ourselves. So when we say no to somebody else, we can say yes to ourselves. We can say yes to honoring ourselves first. And then again, we can honor people from that wholehearted place rather than from a place of having to do it because we feel like we're not enough. Yeah. I mean, that's people pleasing, isn't it? You would rather please someone else over pleasing 
yourself, mm. which again is, you know, that abandonment that we've been talking about. I love those self-kindness, you know, and I'm all about self-kindness. That's what mother kind is about, really. It's about helping us be kinder to ourselves. So when you've done that, you've worked on someone's self-kindness muscle. Do you have other tools around confidence or do you find that self-kindness builds the confidence inherently? So self-kindness is definitely the ground foundation, but then there are layers that we can build on. So gratitude again is another huge one, but also looking at failure as feedback. Basically, from what I know and all the people that I've spoken to, women, there is this huge fear of failure for most people. And what I've discovered is that usually that fear stems from the fear of being judged when we fail as opposed to the failure itself. And failure can be a really good learning experience for us, but what we naturally tend to do is try and resist it. So then it becomes this thing that we are really scared of rather than leaning into it and saying, okay, well, what's the feedback here? What's not working? And what could be better? Rather than taking that, which most people do, as I've failed, so therefore I'm a failure. So failure as feedback is really good and creating conversation around failure so it doesn't become this really negative thing, but actually something that helps us to grow and flourish. Yeah, I love that. I often talk to my clients about seeing life as one big experiment and you try something and you get some information to help you improve the experiment next time I find that can just bring a lightness because sometimes it can feel really heavy can't it you know parenting so it's really important how we parent And sometimes I think I'd love to get your perspective on fear of failure in parenting, because I hear that a lot, you know, this almost paralysis of wanting to be a perfect mother. And yet, of course, from that place, we're more likely to maybe act in ways that aren't the best for us or our family. I love that idea. And I like the idea of seeing it as an experiment and just gaining information. So do you hear about fear around of failure around parenting and being the perfect mum and what advice do you have for people who are in that place perfectionism is a huge thing that I witness and I feel like that is something that is amplified times by 10 when women become mothers and the mothers that I've worked with absolutely the thing I guess that I would want to say is that our children imitate us right so they copy their parents and they're inspired by what their parents do many parents are trying to lead by example but when we lead by an example of perfectionism we are instilling that in children too so I think again this idea of failure is feedback it's really important to celebrate our children for their successes but also for their failures and just create open conversations around failure at the dinner table so something that I've seen mothers do is the daily fail so it's where you sit down and you talk about oh how did you feel today or what mistakes did you make and just making it a light-hearted conversation and including your own stories of failure as well so that kids aren't growing up to believe that it's not okay to fail and that they have to be perfect and I think when we're perfect as well we actually create this block in connection with other people because nobody's perfect and so when we see somebody who looks perfect to us we naturally compare ourselves to that person but we also feel disconnected from that person 
So I think it's really important to be vulnerable and to show that we have not weaknesses, but parts of ourselves that aren't perfect. And I think that that's actually a really good thing for children to be exposed to and to learn from. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I do that with Jessie. I mean, she's only three. I do that with her quite a lot. It's just showing her that I am an imperfect mother. I am an imperfect human and I love myself anyway. Yeah, I find that super helpful. I also don't let her say things like, aren't I silly or you're silly? I don't like any of that because I find that even though it's really subtle, it's still like, you're not silly. You just you just didn't get it right first time. That's not silly. You're trying. And it's such a tiny thing, but I think the words that we use are so powerful, aren't they? Especially at that age when children's brains are like sponges and they are creating those neural pathways that are setting up how they're going to feel about themselves. So yeah, I think that's really important. So if someone's listening and they feel quite confident, you know, they have come home to themselves and they want to help instill the same thing in their children, other than modeling it, is there anything else that you would advise we do to help instill that growth mindset, that sense of self into children? Absolutely. So I think love is obviously the most important thing and releasing the need to control and releasing the need for our children to be happy all of the time. You know, a lot of people are not comfortable experiencing or seeing and witnessing sadness and these more undesirable emotions in others. But it's really important that we experience this full spectrum of emotions and we allow people to have those emotions and allow kids to express things like anger. One of the big things that I coach in women is when they're triggered, anger is an emotion that comes up for a lot of women. But socially, we aren't very accepting socially of anger in people. So if a child's having a tantrum in public, our kind of go-to reaction is to tell them to be quiet or that it's not acceptable to do that. And there are ways that anger can be expressed that are socially acceptable, of course. But I think it's important to let kids just experience the full spectrum of their emotions and give them a safe space to do so. Sort of realizing that when we let go of control, we create more freedom and we create more certainty. So what most people try and do is try and control everything and make everything perfect. But actually, we can't control anything and we create more certainty for ourselves and for those around us when we release the need to control Mm. and kind of let life happen as it's going to happen. There's so much in that. Let's unpick that a bit. So first thing is allowing our children to have their feelings. And I absolutely wholeheartedly agree. And I've spoken to some amazing parenting therapists and doctors of psychology around parenting, and they all say the same thing, that it's about holding space for our children's feelings. What I find is that can be really triggering for mums. So especially if they didn't get space held for them, that can be a really new experience of what it feels like to just allow someone to have their feelings and to just hold the space. So be close to them, but not shut them down or shush them or What does someone do if their child is crying and everything in them wants to fix that, wants to tell them to be quiet or give them something to make them be quiet? 
obviously that's triggering something in them. What does that person do in that moment to relieve that trigger in them and therefore allow themselves to stop controlling the feelings of another? So I think it's always about returning to love and having compassion and instead of trying to control, just letting that emotion come out and letting it release. When we jump in to help other people, and I see adults doing this, and this is actually something that comes up often as a coach, and you would know this as well. When someone's crying or upset or expressing an emotion, it's sort of our natural human tendency to want to try and fix it for that person. So trying to move in and maybe touch them or give them a hug or say, don't cry or it's okay and try and make it better. But what we're doing is we're taking away that person's ability to self-soothe and we're taking away their right to have that emotion and to let that emotion release. So of course it can be really triggering and really hard. And we act based on what we've been taught by the generation before us and the people around us. So I think it's about just trying to relax and to you know, let that emotion play out, release that need for control and recognize that when we're triggered, that it's something that we need to look at in ourselves and just being a source of love and kindness for that child or that person around us, whoever it is, and letting them have that space. Yeah. I mean, that's, we could do a whole podcast on that because there's so much in that, around that dynamic that happens. And as you say, interplays into our own childhoods, how we were parented and it's conditioned. It's fascinating, but I think it's a really important point you raise around just holding space for others, children, adults, everyone, and allowing them to have their feelings. I sort of feel like when we tell someone to shush or it's okay or even what's wrong it's very subtly shaming that's shaming someone for having that feeling that's my view and the second thing that you talked about was control this need to control this need to fix this lack of trust of life where does that need to control come from and how does someone learn to stop white knuckling and ease into life a little bit more and go with things a bit more so Two questions there. Firstly, where does it come from? And secondly, how does someone do it? This need to control is essentially a need for safety. So it comes from a belief that we're out of control or we're lacking that inner power. And again, coming back to this idea of trying to derive confidence from extrinsic goals or external validation, that's another example of external need for control externally. And in terms of this need for control of our emotions or our environment or the people around us, that comes from a belief that we're somehow out of control. We somehow lack this personal authority. And the way that I coach people to return to that inner power is to return to their values and making sure that their actions and the person they are every day, not just sometimes or not just when people are looking, is in alignment with these true values and these personal values. They're something that we can live by. And no matter what happens, you could lose your home and your job and your life could be falling apart. But if you know that you have this track record of being a really good person who's living in alignment with their values of kindness and love and respect, you won't feel completely 100% out of control because you have that inner authority and that personal power. You mentioned spirituality as part of your journey right at the start of the podcast. Is that where some of your more spiritual beliefs come in around your ability to let go and go with the flow? 
Absolutely. So it was my fear that turned my faith around. So I created this life which externally was supposed to give me all of the happiness and the power and the freedom. And I was in therapy with post-traumatic stress disorder and having panic attacks. And a lot of that panic was coming around this need to control what was going on outside of me. And when those things fell out of control, as tends to happen in life at various times and chapters, my sense of personal power was gone because it was fake. It was inauthentic. And so with that situation mentally going on and this feeling that I had nothing, when I had nothing, I had to find something to turn to. And that was inward. And that was finding faith when I had nothing to kind of give me the idea that I should have faith, if that makes sense. Yeah. Was it a religious? Did you turn to God? Did you turn to love, life? What did that faith look like for you and how do you cultivate it today? I kind of refer to it as the universe and this presence or this energy that's around us. And for me, I'd always, since I was a little girl, had, you know, dark moments or nights where I would be lying in bed and I would just say a little prayer or ask for help from someone. And that's where I returned to again when I was in my mid-20s and I was having these dark moments and this rock bottom. And I just put my faith outside of myself to the universe and just trusted that I was being supported and I had to trust that what I was going through was leading me to something better and it did and it reaffirmed that faith again and again so now anytime where I feel my life is out of control or I'm really struggling with something I'm able to tune into more of a gratitude and more of this blind trust that things are unfolding how they're supposed to but I have that belief and that faith because of the bad things that have happened to me in my life yeah I'm the same I'm the same. And I, you know, I have this deep trust and faith. I've actually not found nothing as effective to calming my mind than just trusting that Mm. all is well in this moment and it's all happening perfectly. And I don't need to panic or control or manipulate or be in fear anymore. That was my old way of living and it did not work. (laughs) And my new way is to, yeah, to trust and relax and know that I'll I'll be taken care of and I won't be given anything more than I can handle. That's another thing that I really can cling on to when things feel overwhelming. I wouldn't be given anything if I couldn't grow from it or it was somehow meant to be in my path. What were some of the books or resources that has helped you? along this journey so maybe starting with spirituality and then moving into confidence one of the very very first self-help books that I ever read was A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle I've also heard The Power of Now is amazing I haven't read that but that's the first one I think before A New Earth Mastering Your Mean Girl by Melissa Ambrosini I thought that was a great read it was one of the first books that I ever read and it discusses rewiring that mean voice in your head. And The Universe Has Your Back by Gabby Bernstein was another really good one. And that helped me to create more sort of solid practices and a solid mindset around this idea of the universe and having faith in something outside of yourself. But I mean, I could list so many books for you. (laughs) I read, you know, two or three a month at least. And I just think, 
books are amazing like that because they can expand your viewpoint in so many ways. Sometimes it's just one line in a book that has changed my perspective on life. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm actually going to start a book club for Motherkind because I read so many books. So I'm going to start sharing that more broadly. Yeah, A New Earth is an amazing book. And for anyone that's interested, I don't know if you've seen this, but Oprah is doing every Monday night, her and Eckhart Tolle, who wrote the book, are sitting down and discussing it chapter by chapter. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I've got a few clients who are reading the book and then listening to the Monday night discussion where Eckhart and Oprah are discussing that chapter. It's very cool. I think that book's amazing. Absolutely amazing. A real modern classic. So I would recommend anyone goes and checks that out if they're interested. And we're coming to the end now. Is there anything else that you wanted to share or discuss or anything else at all before I ask you the final question? Yeah, I think something that I tell my clients a lot is that we believe in fear more than we believe in ourselves. And fear and confrontation and challenge is actually an opportunity and it's sort of life's way of nudging you to believing in yourself again. And believing that you can overcome anything because you really can. And a belief that you can't is just a story that you've become obsessed with at some point. And the thing with stories is that they can be rewritten and only you can do that. And so I think when we feel like life is breaking us open, it's really empowering to look at it as a way of life helping us to release our control and to release that fake belief in our fear and return to a belief in who we are and ourselves. I love that. And I think one of my favorite writers called Glennon Doyle, she says that crisis means sift and opportunity. That's what the word actually means. And that's so true is that a crisis is such an opportunity to look at what's really important to really question those beliefs and change your life yet so often as you say we see those crises however big or small they are as negative and getting in the way but as Gabby Bernstein says doesn't she she says the obstacles are your stepping stones to where you want to go so I love that idea okay a final question then is if you could give one gift to all the mums in the world what would it be and why self-love for sure so We teach other people how we want to be treated, but in the context of being a parent, you teach your kids how to love themselves by how you love yourself. And I think that there is nothing more powerful than self-love because self-love comes from self-worth and self-worth is the basis of everything that we do. So self-love is not about the bubble baths and the massages, though it may help, (laughs) Self-love is this foundation of loving yourself for your flaws, for your imperfections and not loving yourself in spite of those things but loving yourself because of them because that makes you a human being and that makes you real and that is our access to connection with others because we don't want to be friends with perfect paper cutouts. We want to love and be in a space with people who are real and like us. So I think self-love is the absolute key to your happiness, but also amazing connections in your family and with the people around you. I totally and utterly agree. Amen to that. Thank you so much. I've absolutely loved our chat. It's really got me thinking as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You are welcome. So that's it. 
Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.